after Earthlings was done, um, I had the same sort of nagging um, uh, inspiration, I guess, for lack of a better word, an idea that was unity, which was um, not the same, but equal, not the same, but equal. And what struck me, the genesis of unity was life on this planet clearly expresses itself in multitudinous ways. Life mm -hmm. is expressed as plants, as birds, as fish, as people, as animals, as bacteria, as worms, as sharks, as everything you can imagine. And even within species, there's color and variation and diversity and so forth. So life expresses itself in multitudinous ways. Healthy Human Revolution podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marvis, and today I'm so honored to welcome Sean Monson. How are you, sir? Very well. Thank you for having me. You know, thank you for joining me, and I really appreciate your time. And, um, you know, today we are just really wanting to learn more about you and your incredible work um, with Earthlings and Unity and some other projects that I know you have in the works. And But before we go down that path, could you tell us a little bit about your history and how you decided that, you know, you wanted to become, I guess, vegetarian first and then vegan and animal activism, how that became a passion of yours. You know, I have this theory that um, there is a dormant <clears throat> vegan in almost everybody. And I say dormant deliberately because, you know, in life we think we know ourselves and um, we might look back at any different stage of life and be surprised by the different series of events that have unfolded beyond our control completely spontaneous or you might look around and, and ask yourself it's like that talking head song you know how did I get here you know this is not my beautiful wife this is not my beautiful house and you sometimes are scratching your head wondering how you ended up where you were which is very interesting to me that these things almost have their own spontaneity and so to go back to something awakening something being dormant that begins to come alive it's as if it was always a part of you it just hadn't been tapped into yet so i was raised like any i should say like any american but predominantly the pretty typical uh western diet thank you darling and um i saw footage one day i saw footage i hadn't seen footage i was in my in my 20s and i saw some footage of pigs being slaughtered which i just hadn't seen before i grew up eating animals like like everybody else on the block in the neighborhood and at high school and i saw footage and i thought it just, it, 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 um, I'm not alone in this, but I think when people see something like that, it, it strikes a chord so deep and then mm -hmm. all the, all the initial reactions follow. Why didn't I know this? Uh, I'm being lied to anger, despair, a whole slew of emotions and reactions follow. Hmm. But I saw footage and I suppose in a nutshell, that's why I end up using footage as a, a teaching tool since I haven't written books and I don't have an animal rights organization. I don't have a vegan restaurant. I, I just was, I always wanted to be a filmmaker, but I saw footage and so I've used footage as a teaching tool as well. So that's sort of the, in a nutshell. Wow. Excellent. So then what, so did you always have a film interest prior to that or was it, it was like, wow, this is actually a great way to share this message. And that literally was 
the nidus for your career career no 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 i did i always wanted to be a film director even okay. as a kid i think i remember seeing um <clears throat> i saw some unusual films as a boy that maybe other kids might not like as much i remember particularly seeing dr shivago when i was a teenager and uh um i remember the scope of it struck me in a way where I wanted to know who were the people behind the scenes that actually assembled this. And so the beginnings of, of becoming a filmmaker were born. In fact, I remember even younger, um, I lived in a very conservative household. And so we didn't see like R-rated movies when we were young. It was just a very conservative home. And the first, <laughs> the first R-rated movie that I saw was, was Alien which uh, came out in 1979, I was 10. And I saw a poster in, the, in a theater and I said to my dad, who wasn't very conservative, my, my folks weren't together, they're divorced. My dad was a liberal one and I said, dad, you gotta take me to see this movie. And so he, <laughs> he took me to see it and I was freaked out because it's, you know, it's a space alien movie and things are coming out of people's chests and people are, it's, it's crazy, you know? But when the film ended, I remember the same thought. It was like, it wasn't just the actors. It wasn't so much the alien. It was as like, who put this together? And I remember reading this name, Ridley Scott. I remember seeing this director. And I remember at 10 thinking, I think I want to be a movie director someday. I think I, think, uh, I want to assemble all this. It's, like a, it's essentially like a Lego set, except it's, it's images and sound and words but you put them together. So that started before. Documentaries came later. I didn't want to be a documentary filmmaker. And I struggled all through my 20s to, to become a, a commercial filmmaker. I just couldn't seem to find a niche or get, get a break. And then I came up upon, as I told you, footage when I was in my mid to late 20s and I decided to attempt a documentary and Earthings was my first documentary. And I, I, remember, I remember vividly laying in bed. I was renting an apartment right across the street from Warner Brothers in Burbank. I was renting this apartment and I had seen this footage and I remember laying there thinking vividly, like somebody has to, somebody needs to like put all this together, how it all connects where there's the pets, the food, the clothing, the entertainment, the medical research, like somebody really should just put this encyclopedia together. And then I realized, oh, I think, <laughs> I think it's me. How, I'm not qualified for this. And that's the origins of Earthlings. So. Wow. Well, I'll tell you, it's, um, I first saw Earthlings, uh, so I went vegan literally overnight about seven years ago. And of course it's on Netflix. And I saw that and it was so emotionally disturbing. I was yeah. like, I can only watch about half of it the first time. And then I set my three children apart. And so they were... Uh, let's see, how old are they at that point? 13, 15, and 18. And my husband, he's like, I can't watch that. I was like, you should. Yeah. I, can't, I can't force them, but I can force yeah. these others. <laughs> yeah. And um, it was really interesting, their response, you know, tears. And they're like, mom, please. I, mm -hmm. Okay, we get it. We get it. And mm -hmm. um, what's really neat about that, though, is that it strikes a chord in young people. I think that they're the ones that make these changes. And it's a it's a really powerful tool and how you put it together and the story element. And I mean, this is, it was made in 05, correct? It was released in 05. So yeah, it started in 99 and I finished it in 04 and it came out in 05. Yeah. Wow. So what is, so that's a long-term project. Wow. And Five then, years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that is, 
I mean, that's uh, longer than it took for me to get my medical degree. <laughs> it took four years. <laughs> I know. And, and, you know, I'm not particularly proud of that, actually. Um, oh. <laughs> uh, and Unity took, a lo- Unity took longer. Unity took uh, seven years and then another year to release it. It took eight from. And oh, so, wow. and, and that, we can talk about that later if it comes up. But um, yeah. that also made me rethink, um, uh, rethink the speed of getting a message out versus the time it might take. Um, and I wanted to shorten that. <clears throat> I wanted to, do, I, I'm not, that's why I said I'm not proud of it taking five years, but I did it on my own. I, I, I did it, no money. I, I mean, I had my own money. I didn't have an investor or donor. I just paid for it myself. And I did right. it in the garage. I edited it wow. in the garage and I was, um, I was married and I had gotten a divorce and, um, and uh, uh, we had a daughter and she lived with me. I, I, I started raising her at a very young age. She was under one. She was seven months old and so I would edit, I'd put her to sleep and I'd have a baby monitor in the editing in the garage and I'd watch her breathing, you know, the baby monitors, the breathing and the right. listen to her as well. And I'd be editing all this horrific material. Oh and um, and that, so it took time just to assemble it in pieces at night and when I could afford to. And so yeah. hopefully things can go quicker. But, you know, these docs, sometimes I'm working on one now. I've been working on it for two years it's documentaries are life, you know, life just has to happen sometimes. Um, right. And so again, I want to do things much quicker, um, but I can't always control the outcome. So it's not a scene that is written that I'm going to go shoot and I can have people hit their marks right. and say their lines and do it. There's no scenes. It's unscripted that way. Hmm. So, yeah. So I think about that. I think about that more and more with climate change and the more we hear about how this Time is shortening and shortening, it seems. It was 2050. The last report we heard, which was this year, which in January, was basically 12 years from now, 11 years from now, right. before major collapses start. And I think there's no time to take five years to make a documentary. Right. Uh, they need to be out in one year. They just have to get right out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so now I see that you're, I saw Dominion, Overhaul, and Utopia. Which one of those is your climate change film? Uh, overhaul is um, overhaul is the uh, utopia is something else that we're supposed to shoot in the in the late summer early fall, okay. um, <clears throat> but overhaul is one that we've been shooting for about two years now, roughly two years, and it is um, in a nutshell it is about um, people that are working within an animal enterprise, okay. and are beginning to see the light while they still actively work there. So the challenge is not to, you can find these people pretty easily, people that'll tell you in retrospect, oh, here's what happened. I used to be a butcher. I used to be a hunter. I used to be a whatever, a horse racer, whatever the case may be. You can find those stories everywhere. But to find people that are still actively working in these facilities that are willing to go on camera because Mm -hmm. something is beginning to stir. And for us to intersect with a person like that, we have three of them so far, is quite rare. And I can't control the outcome. I don't know what they'll do if they'll stay. So we have a a slaughterhouse owner uh, that we're working with. We have a couple of chicken growers, a couple, uh, husband and wife, and we have a a livestock uh, truck, a livestock hauler. You know, he he drives livestock in a truck. And we've interviewed these three people so far. And you just listen to their thoughts about stuff because they're not activists. They're not activists. They speak from the industry point of view. And I find that very raw and honest. I've never worked in that capacity. So there's no point in me putting words in their mouth or telling them what I think or infusing it with my point of view. 
<clears throat> I literally want to hear what they have to say. And the idea is to catch lightning in a bottle, to see the, the dawning of awakening kind of capture them. And, and of the three we have, I'd say two out of three are beginning to, to do that. On wow. camera, you're actually seeing their gradual awakening. So it's, it's kind of like their evolution of, like you said, that dormant vegan, so to speak, is starting to you know, really tap on their conscience and say, hey, there's something here you need to listen. And yeah. uh, have you ever heard of Rowdy Girl Sanctuary? Yeah, I know Renee. In fact, she's featured in this in Overhaul with a uh, family oh, okay. that we're working with already. In fact, the, the, the post oh, okay. that she has been sharing is uh, a family we've been working with a year before. So oh, we have okay. a history with them. And um, so they are one of the one of the three. That, that's the idea of the title is to sort of overhaul. Um, you know, the definition of overhaul is to take apart and examine and repair. Mm. that's the definition of an overhaul so it's right. almost a self overhaul to say wait a minute i've been doing one thing this way for a long time i'm suddenly taking all this apart and seeing it completely different all these beliefs i've had are now butting up against this new awareness that's coming to me and it's 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 a threshold it's it i'm in collision with myself this is how probably you felt when you first saw footage or your kids or your husband or me we start to go whoa 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 whoa, whoa wait a second mm -hmm. and so that's happening but that's happening with people that work in animal enterprises. And that's part of the film. The other half of the film is showing how these facilities, we call them CAFOs, C-A-F-O, which stands for a controlled animal feedlot operation, a CAFO, which is a factory farm, how they could be converted to something else. So it's literally a healing of the land, a healing of the people, a healing of the animals. Wow. And it's difficult because some of the land is just is full of waste. It's ruined. Right. It should might as well be a landfill somewhere. It's just, right. you know, so I think it's important. Um, I stress this with, if I may, I'll stress this just a, yes, a little please, further. Please. Um, I stress this with my, you know, I know a lot of activists and uh, vegan friends and, um, and sometimes I say, and I say it with love, I feel that we live in a little bit of a vegan bubble. Yeah. where we want to um, have the new restaurants open and we want to have the new vegan leather clothing and so forth. But we may not be getting dirty. We may not be getting very dirty yet. And I, I'm not saying true activism means getting dirty. There's nothing wrong with sitting behind a keyboard and doing your work there. But um, I'm someone whose boots have been on the ground. And when I speak, I speak from firsthand knowledge. I'm not quoting something I read in a book. It's not secondhand information. It's not even footage that I watched. I shot it. I, I, I see these things firsthand. And that's not looking at something from 30,000 feet. That's looking at something right up close and immediate. And it becomes difficult because nature is violent. Mm. Uh, the universe seems spectacularly violent. And so it, again, butts up against these taboos we have about how things should or shouldn't be. It's like just, you know, this last week, we had the story of this dairy farm closing on the big island in Hawaii, 2,600 cows. Where are they going to go? Um, they're down to about 1,000 now. 1,600 are already gone. Um, this is a real problem. And uh, it's just as important as a new vegan restaurant opening is what happens to these mothers, what happens to these majestic, soulful, beautiful creatures and what they've endured, how many babies have been taken from them. And because they're too big, um, and they're not really sustainable for the environment between their belching and their flatulence and their waste. They just got to go to auction. 
they just got to go to slaughter because the greater good is the environment. No, I, I, I challenge that, that we as vegans, if you will, it, it, it's not a bubble. It's mm-hmm. complex. It's difficult. We should convert these CAFOs into plant-based, sustainable business-making ventures if possible. Mm-hmm. But to just sort of brush them under the rug and say, hey, let's focus on the new plant-based burger, which is fantastic, by the way. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying no to any of that. Um, I just want to see the world in 360 degrees. I want my eyes open all the way around, north, south, east, Mm -hmm. and west. I don't want to just be like, um, no, we have a vegan sanctuary. We only rescue herbivore animals. We wouldn't help uh, a tiger from a roadside zoo because a tiger eats uh, other animals. But shoot, this tiger needs rescuing. He's an earthling. Hmm. These are difficult questions that I think a lot of us, it'll upset our activism if we have to really delve deeper into them, but there are real problems in the world. And so unfortunately, for whatever reason, I like to look at these closer and see what could be done. (laughs) Well, that brings me to a very interesting thought. So, you know, as a physician and I take care of lots of patients and, Hmm. um, you know, you see it on the, you're, you're looking at the job and the industry and that, that conflict there as someone who's, you know, oftentimes will identify with what they're doing as, with a living. But I'm seeing it when I'm talking about patients with disease processes and they're thinking things and then they, their beliefs about food and how they're feeding their family, that, that conflict all, all the time. I mean, right. it is a, on, Every single day conversation. Mm -hmm. And um, what I find interesting, though, is for me, I get so, um, I think there's self-help, too, right? You need to take sure and and take inventory of yourself. And, you know, sometimes it's really frustrating because it's like, why can't you just see the light and just Mm -hmm. do what I ask, please? Mm -hmm. Reverse How do you deal with that? Because I think that would be for you with, I mean, you're looking at a bigger, broader, more, pressing issue that's so complex and so um emergent i think it, i think it's urgent how do you take the weight of that do you i mean what is your release like how do you process that internally because for me i know in things that you can't necessarily control sometimes it's i tend to be a bit of a control freak as like raising kids mm-hmm. and stuff how do you how do you process that well let's, let's take the first part of it which is the complexity of an issue that might come up And then we'll talk about the processing of the issue. Mm -hmm. The first part would be um, not everybody's ready for it just yet. So, um, you know, if you look at the sunrise, let's say the sunrise is at, let's say, 6 a.m. You can't make it 12 o'clock. You can't make it midday. The time has to pass. So 6 o'clock, 6.30, So until you get to high noon and the sun is at its peak, you know, so sometimes it's still this, the sun hasn't even dawned yet for some people, no point really getting angry mm-hmm. unless you believe that anger is going to somehow provoke a reaction that will snap them into attention, which I think people have tried. It's kind of like groundhog day. Like we keep trying this and like, okay, that didn't work. And you try it again. <laughs> Note to self, don't do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully we're not destroying or delaying another person's awareness in the process. So uh, in, use compassion first, inspire as much as you can. That's the first point. As for yourself and how do you not let it get you down? The second part of your question, I uh, said this before, I, I sort of view it as a water filter. 
I see myself as a filter, really, and uh, take in the bad, purify it, and turn it into fuel, release it as the good again. Hmm. Um, try not to make it, if you can, try not to make it about you. Uh, your pain, mm -hmm. your suffering, a little bit of that ego can creep in a little bit because of the things I've seen. We call it traumatic knowledge. Uh, when you see some of this stuff, a lot of activists can burn out. Um, that's a real problem. I understand it. I certainly understand it. It feels overwhelming. Mm -hmm. It feels unfair. If you're a religious person or a spiritual person, you believe in God, you're asking why. You know, so um, it's, um, it's hard. But, but take each day, each encounter, each new person, as, as if you were a gardener and you were planting a seed and your job is to only try to plant the seed. If that seed falls on rich soil, great. If it's stony ground, plant the seed anyway. Just keep dropping seeds, keep dropping seeds. And um, know that that's all you can do in a world of mm -hmm. free will. Mm -hmm. It's a bit of a biblical... Uh... I guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so when you go back to, so I, I, I understand the environmental, you know, urgency and the compassion, but I really want to talk about unity too, because unity okay. is really fascinating to me. So, um, so our, our uh, mutual friend, Jean-Pierre, yeah. um, we, I uh, donated an opportunity for him to raise money for his, um, you know, Exactly. Uh -huh. And um, it was really awesome. And it was um, born out of some difficult circumstances in my own life. It turned into a beautiful thing for him. Oh. And I'm so happy to be a part of that. So um, and yeah. it, it was really good to see that, you know, it's like you said, you're taking a filter, you're turning your lemon into lemonade. <laughs> so basically, yeah. and um, what's interesting is he gave me your, your film. So I have the CD that has the earthling and the unity and I watched the unity and it was so, um, I consider myself a, a religious, I, I have a faith and, you know, I, I see the beautiful things around us and it's just like, there's just so much more to us than us, you know? So, right. and that was what was so incredible was these, and these different people, um, influencers around the world that you use to, to speak and to, and say certain things right. and, and just the footage in and of itself, how, I was thinking to myself going, and you, you were talking about, you saw the aliens, you're like, how did they put this together? Who was that? I was like, so I'm like, who? And how was that yeah. thought process? So like, how did that evolve? Because I was so curious, because it's really, it really moved me in the sense of like, wow. Um, hmm. In a ways that I was really surprised, um, more so than I thought it would. So I'm, I'm curious as to how, how that, yeah, it was really good. So how did well, that all come around? So after Earthlings, um, <clears throat> I always thought there might be a trilogy. And it's hinted at, if you even look at the poster for Earthlings, there's a bit of a hint because it says nature, animals, humankind. And it has a picture of a human face, which happens to be Joaquin for Earthlings. And then it has uh, a Texas longhorn cow for the animal. And it has a leaf for nature. So it says nature, animals, humankind. And that right there is telling you that there are three films, essentially. One, one film about animals, which is Earthlings. Mm -hmm. One film about nature, which I haven't made yet. And one film for humankind, which is Unity. So um, after Earthlings was done, um, I had the same sort of nagging um, uh, inspiration, I guess, for lack of a better word. 
an idea that was unity, which was um, not the same, but equal, not the same, but equal. And what struck me, the genesis of unity was life on this planet clearly expresses itself in multitudinous ways. Life mm -hmm. is expressed as plants, as birds, as fish, as people, as animals, as bacteria, as worms, as sharks, as everything you can imagine. And even within species, there's color and variation and diversity and so forth. So life expresses itself in multitudinous ways. This became one of the first revelations. Therefore, why do we have preferences for this expression of life over that expression of life? And that is racism, sexism, speciesism, any sort of division where we express love, teach love, cultivate love for some beings, and in the same breath we'll have this attitude of aggression toward other beings. And it struck me that this is taught. This is taught. So, and I, of course, have a new baby, as you saw here briefly at the beginning, and she's three months old, and she, I can't totally speak for her, but let me try. She doesn't know, she doesn't know nothing about nothing. <laughs> she's just beholding. She's literally just beholding. I think she knows when she's hungry, because she goes, eh. I think she knows that she has to go to the bathroom when she's tired, if she's cold, but she's pretty, pretty straightforward, right? They just, so the implant, imprinting is beginning, is beginning. Right. And so expressions of life. So life expresses itself in all these ways. And I said, well, I have to make a movie about this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how do you make a movie about that? There's no protagonist. There's no antagonist. There's no hero. There's no person that you follow. I don't put myself in my movies as a filmmaker and, and, and you follow me on my journey as I discover something. I just haven't taken that approach, which works great. Right. Um, I just haven't done it. I thought, how do you do it? And this idea of multiple voices, multiple narrators, uh, multiple ethnicities, sex, different age, sex, color, it doesn't matter, you know, mm -hmm. and a tapestry of voices all woven into one voice, which I thought was a phenomenal idea and after about 40 voices I was like maybe this wasn't such a great idea <laughs> it's taken a long time yeah. and um and then just a collage of footage I mean the truth is uh, it was unity, a lot of footage it's a lot of footage and unity does not fit into the documentary narrative thread in other words it does not follow the typical structure of a film which probably kept it from being seen by in more festivals and getting noticed because it is an unusual film if I'm being really honest, it's the best PowerPoint presentation you've ever seen in your life. And it's probably not a documentary. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But I will say it's a phenomenal PowerPoint pre presentation. It is very. <laughs> with 100 narrators and 12 Oscar winners and a great soundtrack. You know, it's, it's, wow. but it's a think piece. It really is a think piece. So you have to be in the mood for it. And obviously you were when you saw it. Um, and, and our, our goal making it was it's, 90, it's 96 minutes long and that, um, <laughs> From the beginning to the end, if we do our job right, your consciousness should be raising actually while you're watching it. So by the end of the film, you don't want to step on a snail. You don't want to harm a fish. You don't want to hurt, harm any expression of life. And that was the goal of, right. of unity. You're almost exhausted at the thought of what you need to do as well. Yeah. For, no. you know, for me, it was just the thoughts. And you almost have to stop, stop it and process a bit and then start it again. 
Yeah. And so that was that kind of, um, cause my brain started going, goes multiple rabbit holes, but, um, it can yeah. be very, very challenging. Um, okay. Yeah. Well that makes a lot of more sense. And I was just at, really, I'm so happy I got to ask you that question because I've been thinking about it for a while. Um, so tell, I'm curious now too, what, you know, you have said these others, we talked about overhaul, what is Utopia and Dominion? Well, Dominion, well, Dominion's out. Dominion was produced out of Australia. I'm oh, a yeah, that- yeah, it just came out last year. Oh, Australia. Um, okay. It's an Australian production. Uh, it's, it, I did direct the film. It's directed by Christel Force. He did a fantastic job. And it, it, it's essentially sort of an updated, kind of an updated attack, uh, a version of Earthlings, sort of attacking the, the industry from a new, it's okay. high definition. It's, um, you know, Earthlings is in standard definition because it's older. And so these guys down there just, just did a great job covering factory farming in different ways animals are used, not just factory farming, not just food and clothing, but it's sort of an updated version and uh, they asked, they came to me a couple of years ago and they said, would you be involved in, and uh, I saw some footage and I was just like, oh, it was sad at first because people have said, oh, about Earthlings, they say, oh, it's old, the footage is old, it doesn't happen anymore. And I thought, I, I wish that was true. I wish that because the footage was old, it right. didn't happen anymore. But when I look at the, for instance, the pig footage in Earthlings, and then they sent me the pig footage for Dominion. It was identical. It was just one was in standard definition and one was in high definition. And uh, so that came out last year and is available for free. Uh, people can watch. It's a heavy, okay. heavy film. And then, of course, Overhaul, we've been shooting, as I talked about. And then yeah. Utopia, Utopia, I can't talk too much about. Um, oh, okay. Um, so that one's, uh, yeah, I can't talk about that, that one too much. But... <laughs> It does have a message to it. It is not a documentary. It is a, it okay. is a story. It is a narrative story, and uh, but it has a, a profound message. I I hope that comes through at the end. So undeniably, uh, if we do our job right, it should be very clear. So. Well, I can't imagine you not sharing a strong message. So. Yeah, <laughs> cool. So what are your um, others? So these are very large and long-term projects. You know, multiple years. Do you do other things? In between. Is in between and other things that you do? Yeah, I do. Um, I do some writing in between. I've done writing for hire. I do some shooting in between and some editing. So in between projects, I'll pick up little things that come along. I'm able to work uh, full time, though, as a filmmaker. So I guess I'm fortunate that way because, again, the stuff isn't necessarily commercial by any yeah. stretch. So it's um, but, you know, once you see it, you can't unsee it, you know, it's like they say with the toothpaste, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, you know, once you see the horrors of these things, it's, it, it really occupies my, my thoughts. I have a sister, she works for, um, she works for a group out of, out of, uh, also in, it's in the U.S. and um, they do child trafficking. And I, I think if I wasn't working for animals, I'd be working with, uh, child trafficking to you because it's horrific and it's also if you look at the correlation between the two you basically have something weaker that is being exploited by something stronger and um and the weaker one doesn't understand what's happening or what it may have done wrong and and it's violent it's violent and and exploitative so i if i wasn't helping animals i think i'd be doing that instead but i think also we're evenly placed in the world there's all these people that are different things speak to them 
I don't do any research on cancer, for instance, and I'm glad other people are working on that. I don't do any farming practices, so I'm glad people people do that. So I just happen to be uh, feel such a such a. Um, it's like the animals; they come to me in my dreams, and they say, "You have to tell our our story." The biggest one I have that I've been developing for twenty years is the Great Silence, and and um, that's just a huge Avatar type of a movie. It's just ginormous and so um i will make that film in my lifetime but it would require uh it's an expensive film and if that film which i've been developing for 20 years if that film doesn't reach humanity i might be out of ideas for the moment because mm -hmm. that film you you'd almost have to have like some cerebral function not operating to not get the way that film is structured. So many of these movies like Earthlings or Unity or Dominion or some of these are sort of lily pads to get closer to this, this opus that is designed for all of humanity in any country. And uh, I'm sure people will see it and probably not comprehend it because I know there are people in this world who don't have empathy for whatever reason. They just, there are right. degrees of, of empathy and a lack of empathy. Right. But for the most part, I think people are basically decent. And I know we read about the exceptions every single day in our newspapers and online, but I believe people are basically decent, which is why when they see this stuff, it, it, it strikes them and um, they don't want to contribute to it. So keeping it in front of them is the goal. And that's also the hardship because the advertisers for the other end of it are constantly, they never take a day off. So, um, so that's why I do what I do. And I'm just grateful that I'm able to keep to keep doing it and not have to stop and do other things all the time. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah. There's so many questions I can ask you now. Mm -hmm. I, I'm curious. So the, it's funny because um, when you were talking, so my grandmother, um, God bless her, she's passed now. She worked for a slaughterhouse and she was a mm. bookkeeper. And so was my mom. And so I remember as a child, um, she worked for Schwartzman's in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And um, the, the slaughterhouse had shut down, but she would still do some of their work. And so I would come and stay with her and I would go and I would um, look through, there were these huge buildings, right? There were these slaughterhouses. And I will never forget when I was, when I'd spend summers there and I'd go exploring, um, going in these big buildings. And there was like, it's almost like a, hmm, it's like a, a draping that occurs like a darkness that envelopes you and you feel so uncomfortable. I had to like, you have to, all right, I've got to go now. <laughs> so you're like, there is a darkness there. It's beyond the, the physical darkness. It's a, there's something. <clears throat> evil. Energy. Yeah. It's an energy. That's a good word. Energy um, about it. And when I was little, I didn't get it, but I knew I had to go. <laughs> so, um, and I was never so glad when she quit that and never had to go back and, um, because when you're a kid, you're like eight hours. You got to go do something. You're running around. Yeah. And, and um, as a bookkeeper, but that she was, worked. Uh, as a bookkeeper, she worked on site. Then she was there at. Yeah. The, so they. Yeah. So they had the uh, the slaughterhouse, and then their offices. Offices. Off. Yeah. yeah. You could. I mean, but I mean, right. my my mom used to go with her. She worked there for years and many years. So she, my my mom, would go there when she was little. I mean, so this was a generational thing, mm -hmm. and. Um, I mean, I, I just think about that now and I go, wow, I get it. Um, I, I, it's kind of disturbing. Um, yeah. um, 
the other question I had is, so it's almost like, you know, um, you're talking about your big opus, the, the big mm -hmm. film. Is it like the silent spring? Like or everything is uh, kind of like that? No, that I mean, kind of what the you're great, thinking? no, the great silence is, um, it's just told entirely from the animal's point of view. Oh, I see. The whole story is told, but it's in different parts of the world. But so it's different animals. So there's a story that involves whales, and there's a story that involves animals in the zoo, and there's a story that involves monkeys. And so, but it's it it probably it has to be animated, of course. It has to be light, you know, sort of right. photorealistic animation, so that it's really really good. Um, so it's not cartoony, right? Um, which sometimes makes it easier for people to process information, which is why you'll see like Pixar is very good at creating these very animated characters and they can sometimes tackle heavier issues. Probably right. the best example of that is Wally, -E, if you ever yes, watched. Yes, I was just about to say Wally. -E. Uh, like, the message in that movie, I was just, I, that was the most powerful film I think I saw that year. And I'm like, it's an animated film for kids. And they talked about garbage and obesity and destroying life and, uh, and love. And I was like, wow. Wow. I mean, yeah, no kidding. So when I, we saw that film, and I was like, I was telling my husband, like, do you, do you, do you see realize what where we're headed? Yeah. This is our future. Yeah. And I'm like, the, the little plants, and I was just yeah. like, holy moly, what a brilliant uh, yeah. film! And I was just, <laughs> yeah. I was really moved um, mm -hmm. by that. And it was, you know, what's interesting too is that you see these things, like you have these instances, because that was that. Oh, it must have been a while back because yeah. eight years ago, eight yeah. years ago. So it was right before I went vegan. And I think about all these times in my life that there was like, you said this dormant. A seed like, was planted. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like these little seeds. And um, my daughter, she's 25. My oldest is 25 or will be tomorrow. Actually 25. Uh -huh. And she, when she was two, she was very verbal, young. And, um, I remember going to a grocery store with her and, you know, they have the lobsters and the, mm. they're, you know, in the cages and they're still living. She goes, mommy, why are those lobsters in the grocery store? And she goes, well, I said, Emily, people cook them and eat them. She goes, yeah, she really cannot process that. Right. Like, but why oh, would, yeah. why would they be here? Like she didn't, you know, that death concept had not entered her little mind when you say they're imprinting and taking, and I just, I, it just went over my head, but I remember her not wanting to be around it. And it really, that made an impression on me as a mom in this sense, but I never, I didn't make my full circle. I wish I would have sooner, but it was just, um, like you said, it was like these little things would bubble up. And I, I don't know if I just, I mean, I've obviously subconsciously pushed them down, but, um. It was really interesting to look back and even look at the, like you said, these children who, who they, they already get it. And then yeah. we indoctrinate them. Very, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it'll be interesting. I'm, I'm always so curious about, you know, children who are raised in vegan homes from the beginning. Mm -hmm. What an interesting way to have children grow um, without that. And you, you, they're open to so much more, I think, culturally, right. you know, environmentally changes. And I think those kids are so amazing. Well, not that my kids weren't that much older. I mean, well, they were, but right. they were yes. teenagers. Yes. Um, and my daughter's in med school and, you know, I got, you know, so I'm hoping she'll move down that track as well. But um, they're all plant-based, but it, it is, it's a phenomenal thing, but it's such a gift to have people mm -hmm. create videos 
share these stories. It's just been amazing. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's just another piece of information that hopefully will cross someone's path and speak to them, hopefully. It's more than information, though, right? So because I think people respond to stories. I know I use a lot of stories in medicine. So Mm. that's how I get people to even consider sometimes to even change um, is a story of another patient, a story of my own. I didn't really necessarily have a lot of health issues, but just my experience as a physician watching people get well and Mm -hmm. how phenomenal that is every single day. And um, that's powerful for people because I get super excited, a bit ADD. (laughs) Right. right. But yeah. So do you have um, any thoughts on how you would, like if you had the one, you had no, all the money in the world, I know you want to do that animated, Mm -hmm. the larger film. Mm -hmm. What is the most important message do you think, like right at this time, right now, if you could make it in the day and the way you would want it, what would you want that to say? Like what would be the driving message? Well, it's a good question. I've often thought of that. If you had all the resources in the world, what would be the most effective use of those resources for massive change. In fact, when I, even when I go to raise money for films and I talk to potential donors or investors, that question comes up because they get asked that all the time. Hmm. They get petitioned for resources. And, um, they have to think, uh, if I spend X amount of money, will this, have, what, will this have the maximum impact it could have as opposed to if I spent it on something else? So hmm. it's, a very good, it's a very good question. Um, it's hard to know what will speak to different people. Hmm. Um, you know, as you know, I'm sure as you know, and your 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 listeners know um, that there are three primary ways that you know this message can get through, which is either health, environmental, or or morality or ethics for the animals. And and people seem to respond to the, to different ones. Some people statistics mm. will really affect them. The numbers they're like, whoa, really? They may not have a sort of bleeding heart capacity for an animal dying and think about this i'll take it one step further we live in a culture where um i believe the statistic is speaking of statistics is roughly 33 percent christian say 33 percent christian in a world that is 90 percent 85 to 90 percent religious and all combined belief systems and all combined so you have a lot of belief 90 percent belief and a third of that in fact, more than a third, because it's 33 or 35% out of 90, is Christian. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I say this carefully because I don't want to get in trouble because there are such strong feelings about, about uh, religion. But Christianity is based on Jesus being the lamb that goes to the slaughter. Mm-hmm. And I've often wondered if this idea of a perfect, pure being suffering and dying for the greater good isn't also subconsciously behind our thinking when it comes to it's okay these animals are innocents they go to slaughter and they die for the greater good to feed us all Hmm. i think that could potentially be one other hurdle to have to get over in trying to elicit compassion from someone because for so long they've had a foundation that a lamb going to the slaughter is for the greater good deep Mm. deep 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 in their subconsciousness i don't say it as a bad thing i just think it could Mm -hmm. be 
yeah, that's why they say, yeah, but God gave them to us for this reason. God gave animals to man for this. Yeah. One more hurdle to kind of try to break through. As a Christian myself, um, and speaking to other Christians, because I think for me, um, as a faith, you know, follower of, of Christ, who is the all, I mean, he's, loves all. I mean, he hang out with women and lepers mm-hmm. and I mean, mm-hmm. geez, that's way more than I, I'm not a good human. When I see that, you know, not down and, in the slums, hanging out with the prostitutes and the lepers trying to, uh, I've, not on a daily basis. I've gone to Uganda and done some trips. Let me tell you, there's some pretty been in the slums, but yeah. not on the, I wouldn't live there. You know, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I would, you know, I'm not as humble and, um, mm. just not, but when I look back on, you know, you look back under biblical scripture and I was like, let's go back to the very beginning. Genesis 129 says we were it's, all eating plants, my friend. Yeah, and, it's um, right there. Yeah. It's right there. There's a Daniel fast. There's all of these things, but there's even some in revelation at the end that we're going back to plants. Hmm. And I've had multiple, I've talked to multiple pastors and theologians about that because I was like, I, I, I was like, is this what I'm thinking and saying? He's like, absolutely. It's like, so why don't we eat plants now? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get it we, after the flood. Yeah, so why are, are we waiting for? And um, it's for me, but I get what you're saying, that comparison, it's the the sacrifice to bring that relationship in, with Christ, sacrifice for the you know greater good. I get it for sure. And I think that that's a really interesting way to look at it. I never thought of it that way, but you're, you're right. That certainly could be. It could uh, be. It could yeah. be back there. I mean, did you see the campaign just recently for the Pope to go vegan? Yes. Go oh, yes. And I've already reached out. I'm trying to get, I'm hoping they'll let me interview them. <laughs> well, um, I think that's phenomenal. Inter- wait, I hope they'll let you interview who, you mean the Pope or are you talking about? No, uh, not the Pope, but um, is it Genesis? Matt? Genesis? Well, I, I don't know Genesis, but um, I their name has left me. The two that are in charge of it. Oh, well, you can look it up because, um, Let me see here. you know, I, I know all about that. I was involved in that for several months ago and how that could be that just really? the, the first think tank discussions of what would be a way to reach a lot of people. And that same idea was presented. Oh, Wow. If you, you know, who do people listen to? Do they listen to celebrities? Yes. Do they listen to athletes? Yes. Musicians? Yes. Um, political figures? Sometimes. Um, religious figures? Definitely. Right. Yeah, stuff comes from the pulpit. Right. So I was, you know, in a meeting with some, you know, influential people and they were exploring this very idea. This was last year and that, that came up. I know the same people that eventually brought it brought it to fruition and we even shot some PSAs in an effort to see if we could attract excuse me almost uh we were going to have celebrities do some do do an ask initially kind of like the ice bucket challenge from a couple years ago where it caught on everybody kind of I'll do it and I'm going to ask three more people to do it Mm -hmm. so the, the idea was to see if we could uh lovingly petition the pope of course the money is for charity it's not for the pope personally it was to be given any charity that, that the pope would choose and the idea was to simply explore lent and a plant-based diet dear holy father um because we care about the planet and because we want to minimize animal suffering would you consider you know right. trying something like this and if he did it how many people would follow they did some numbers on this that if even even if a portion of the catholic church it there's let's say the pope there's a billion yeah. There's a billion, but even if a portion of them had done it, if the Pope came forward and said, hey, I'm going to do this for Lent, 
and um, and and a portion of them actually followed. It would be like uh, uh, as if Germany got rid of cars for ten years. That that's the potential impact of the idea. So it's a very good idea. Uh, some people shot it down and thought this is crazy, but I like this different thinking to try to say what will inspire people, what might get them to consider it differently, and people are trying. People of means are trying. Activists with no means are out there on the street trying, and I think it's just so beautiful that that uh, because you know what's different about this movement than let's say civil rights. In terms of civil rights, you have people fighting for rights that they felt that they deserved, and they did, without question. And they were the ones marching to Washington, saying, "Hey, look at me, acknowledge me, listen to me. I have a right here for this." In this particular instance, the animals cannot do that for themselves. It is already mm-hmm. by proxy, which already you might say weakens it, because mm-hmm. the women who fought for the right to vote were chaining themselves to the White House. Right. You know, um, civil rights activists were out there on the forefront. Equal rights activists for you know um, any different issue where people were fighting for rights, they could personally say, "I'm the one. I am fighting for this. This is me. Acknowledge it." Right. This we can't do. This is for another being. And not only that, this, is, this goes back to unity. These are expressions of life that look completely different from us. Right. And so some say that our compassion is, goes as far as the mirror. What we see in the mirror could be a, why there's racism. You know, white people are comfortable with white people. Black people are comfortable with black people because our compassion predominantly goes as far as our reflection in the mirror. I'd like to think we're more involved in that, but there's probably some truth to it. There's probably a lot of truth to it. Mm -hmm. So now you take something like a fish that looks nothing like what you see in the mirror, still has two eyes, still is a vertebrae, Mm -hmm. but, um, and compassion gradually weakens. Now, how can you ask somebody to care for a tree that doesn't even speak, doesn't even have eyes or a face? It's quite shallow to think that our compassion only goes as far as our reflection, but I'm afraid to say that might be true for a level of consciousness that predominantly governs the planet. Mm. And so we are trying to find other ways, bless our hearts for trying to somehow spark an interest that might get them to consider it. I believe there's a map to every human heart and we're trying to find, it's different for each person, you know? I like that, a map to human heart. Um, This is interesting because what I like about the, the Pope challenge, the Popal challenge, is it's coming from a child, yeah. right? Yeah. So, you know, so what better uh, spokesperson than someone, like you said, who mm. is weaker, one is asking. Yeah. Um, exactly. And um, that's interesting that you said this, This, con- you know, your compassion is only as far as the mirror. Reflection, um, yeah. Yeah, so what's interesting about that is when you, I like to tell people, you know, as a, again, as we kind of go back to my own faith, um, I I really never thought about, we were put here to be stewards of animals and the earth. Mm -hmm. And we are not doing a good job. We're not being good stewards of our bodies, Mm -hmm. our finances, our communities, our culture, Mm -hmm. our children, um, our animals, the earth. And what's interesting is that these films, like you're doing, speak volumes because if someone goes into nature like i'm in florida for a brief time before i go back to colorado i walk along the ocean and it's so invigorating and moving and i think people understand that 
they can't put words to it necessarily always, but there's something that is moved in them from nature. We're mm-hmm. all, like you said, all connected, that consciousness, like mm-hmm. the, in the unity. Instinctively. Um, um, yeah. Instinctively. Instinctively, right? And so that's what those, those type of movies and things do, right? You, you move us and then you open ourselves up to a new message, right? So you're bringing that emotion and then you're saying, well, here's maybe what this means. Maybe you should, you know, kind of, think about that yeah Mm -hmm. so and i think that's what's so valuable about this type of messaging that's i think that's why people like video interviews and they can they can see the the verbal and the facial and all of it together um and it's just i just think it's so really incredible so well think of this you made me think of can i say one more thing you made me think of you can think of whatever you like please have time um (laughs) when you mentioned um nature and, and of course we've talked a little bit about religion and spirituality um you mentioned genesis earlier so i find the garden of eden story just absolutely um inspiring whether people believe it as fact or fiction is either way it could work mm-hmm. um because when i think about it it's like look at it look at what it tells us it tells us here in this in this um beginning that um there was no separation in this place between anyone no separation between man and woman they were both naked didn't know they were naked no separation between man and animal the lamb lays down with the lion without any ire as it says um no separation between man and beast Uh, man wasn't killing animals no separation between god and man because the scripture says something to the effect that god walked with adam in the cool of the day it's as if they walk as if they're friends and so there's no separation whatsoever this is this idyllic Eden is what is, what is and this apparently is where we all came from. And then something very interesting happens. Mm. There's this tree. And for whatever reason, the tree seems to begin to be the beginning of an exit of some kind, because as soon as they partake of this fruit of the tree, they hide from God, they cover up their nakedness, the lion begins to eat the lamb, and the world as we know it begins. Now, what's interesting is that most religious people, and if you take some of the three big religions, which would be Christianity, Islam, and Judaism, all of which will have a biblical base, certainly an Old Testament base, at least. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, they all want to get back to this Garden of Eden. Yeah. But they have all these different ways of wanting to get there. So we haven't quite returned to this garden mentality, this garden consciousness, this Eden, this unity consciousness, where there was no separation based on form, which was another point in in the movie Unity. There's no separation based on form because the forms express themselves in multitudinous ways. And that's just the rainbow of life. It's no big deal. So there's really no point in saying, I'm imbuing this form with more of this and I'm disliking this form with that. That's completely egocentric and subjective and not good, not good at all. So Mm -hmm. all of these groups want to get back to the same biblical base and yet because they have three different names for the same biblical God, they can't get along with each other. And mm-hmm. so we are not yet returning to Eden. And I touch on that in unity, as you might remember. Yes. I was because, actually going to say there is a different element of that there. Yeah. <laughs> Just to explore. I think it's probably why I like, yeah, it's, it's, um, it really was, it, you, like you said, heavy. It makes you think a mm-hmm. lot of things through and, um, I certainly always am trying to question myself and making sure that I'm doing what I want to do as I feel like there's more to what we should be doing. Like I said, as 
follower, Christ followers, or any faith followers, that we should be going back right to, like you said, where should we go back to from the beginning where, like you said, it was beautiful. Mm-hmm. It was perfect. We were together. We were united. Mm-hmm. And we, there was not this separation. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, I could talk about that for hours. But yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, amazing um, thing, though, when you, at least from my own experience, my own faith, just to be a, way more personal than I've ever been on another podcast, mm-hmm. was that um, when I accepted you know, Christ is my savior and my following, there is a definite change. Um, Mm. There is a um, releasing of the ego. Mm. You fight it. Um, Mm. Obviously it's a growing thing, but it's Mm. certainly when you start seeing um, suffering, like um, maybe the homeless, you know, for me, it's kids and elderly. (laughs) It's my spot. You know, Mm. Uh, if you see a family that is suffering and homeless, homeless, you know, I am more moved to action to make sure that they have somewhere to go or make sure they can get them food or something than maybe someone that I, you know, I'm, and I'm a vet, but someone who's able-bodied to work, it's so much easier to make that. It's interesting because you're but like, why am I thinking differently? Maybe this person has mental health issues. Maybe mm-hmm. they, you know, yeah. they, you know, so you start questioning your own biases and it's, it's that process of growth and that that actually process was made more of and more pronounced when I started doing that. So Mm. that is, I think, where we as a a church, we need to start looking at our own actions and what we're treating each other. We're we're horrible with each other. I mean, people don't go to church because of hypocrisy and judgments. And I mean, I was told, what am I doing as a mother going to medical school with three little kids? Because my kids were five, three, and 10 months when Mm. I started. Mm. And I really struggled for a long time with that. Um, and, uh, but you know, but then I look back and go, you know, Lori, they're just looking from their limited experience. Yeah. And that's yeah. what they felt like a mom should do. They just didn't know how to express it in a loving manner. And yeah. And we, we love to kind of tell each other what to do, you know? Yes. We're very good at that. I'm very good at that. It's, <laughs> so. it's like, it's like walking dogs with a leash, you know, we kind of like to put leashes on each other if we can and kind of, <laughs> uh, walk each. And, you know, you gave me one last thought, too, also, just because I like talking about, um, I certainly love talking about spiritual things, um, conscious things, because I just find it so so fascinating. And um, I just wrote an essay that's for, for this book that seems to get published, but I'll share it with you here. And it, and it was a, it, I had one point where I talked about the origins of Indian myth, and it had to do with uh, cycles of consciousness, and it was it was done in the ter- in in terms of metal. So there was the age of the gold, the age of the silver, the age of the bronze, and then the age of iron. And in these four ages, humanity was represented as different levels of consciousness. So, and this is in a myth. This is an Indian myth, probably a Hindu myth, but I came across it and I found it a great metaphor for the world. And like you said earlier, a story like this sometimes helps take something big like that and make it clear. Probably the same reason why Christ used parables. He said, you know what? I used to teach these, right, you know this. So I used to teach this way, and then there was a modification where the story seemed to help it be clearer and easier for people to comprehend. Mm-hmm. Well, if you, in the, in the Indian myth, if you look at the age of gold, everybody was quite beautiful, peaceful, happy. It was an Edenic society. Um, and of course, uh, even at that time, 
um, couples were born together. You didn't have to search for your true love in life. You were already born. Uh, there were no doors on the houses. There was nothing to keep out. Um, the trees wow. in the wind made beautiful melodies as it passed through. And even the earth, the soil was, was like sugar or molasses. You could eat it and people were very, very happy. And they never had to stop and think for a moment, how should I conduct myself? How should I behave? They always behaved consciously, lovingly, compassionately, without even a thought. And that was the age of gold. And, and in the Indian myth, each age is, be, is introduced by a symbol. And the symbol was a cow. And the cow, because cows in, in, in Indian beliefs are quite sacred. And so the cow represented this goddess of virtue. Hmm. And the cow was, would appear on four legs. Now, when the second age began, which was the age of silver, it began with the cow had, having only three legs. It's very interesting. A leg is missing. And suddenly a change has occurred. The people are still conscious in how they act, but they have to stop for a minute and think about how they should conduct themselves. There's a delay for a moment. They have to hesitate. And so that was the personification of the age of silver. By the time the age of bronze began, the cow appears with only two legs. Of course, a cow can't stand with two legs, and so a prop needed to be brought in. And the props was holy writings and scriptures. And in this belief system, this was the age when religion came into the world, when mankind needed to be reminded of how they should conduct themselves because they no longer could act spontaneously and consciously. We had to read about it and say, oh, oh, these are commandments. Oh, I mean, I'm not supposed to kill. I'm not supposed to steal. I have to, which we've had those for thousands of years, and we still can't get those 10 right and they're pretty basic they're, they're pretty simple okay so <laughs> this was the age of of bronze and a prop was required and of course i thought when i heard the myth i thought oh this is our unfortunate time and it is right. because the myth goes one step further it goes to the age of iron where there's only one leg left and at that point of course um the people don't even bother to read holy writings and if they do they argue about how they should be interpreted and they go to war and kill each other over them this reminds me again of the Garden of Eden and these cycles of consciousness, which can be had not only physically, but internally. Like, mm -hmm. it's just like if you go into outer space and you see just how vast our universe is. I believe there's an inner space that's just as vast, just as immediate. And if we spent a little more time focusing on the inner space, mm -hmm. instead of always on the outer space, we might create that Eden right now and not have to wait mm -hmm. for the golden age or for Eden to return. So, but the it makes sense though, right? Because there, there are so many people who are lonely, even though you may have all the money in the world, but they're missing something, right? So they're, they're bringing in these physical things and then people are looking for mindfulness and meditation, but they're, they're always searching, right? Because we're searching because mm -hmm. there's something missing mm -hmm. within us. Um, it's the, it is exactly that inner space, that spiritual walk. Yeah. For me, it's, it's you know, bringing in my faith because um, I'll tell you, I lost my brother when he was 22 to in an accident in that my faith was a big part of me being able to move forward and other things in life, you know, we all have our tragedies, but it's just, it's interesting to see how those, you can look back 2020 and say that, that strength came from, I didn't have it within me, but I had something, it wasn't physical. It wasn't another person. It was something else. It's that the being, right, yeah. or the, the consciousness is something that we're yeah. connected by. It's really, really incredible, and we are missing it. We're, we're missing it as, 
as beings and we're more mm -hmm. isolated now, even though we're more connected and it's just, it's, it's disheartening. Um, well, well, the, distra the, the distraction comes from, you know, the, the, the distractions abound. And um, I've, I've, I've said before, you know, the, the mind is essentially addictive and mm -hmm. its addiction is thinking. And all these things, you know, like uh, all, all this kind of stuff, whatever, which is phenomenal in so many ways too, is also mm -hmm. constantly st uh, stimulating the addiction. And so I would say we come by it honestly in a way that we are uh, surrounded by this particular uh, environment um, or, or rather this is this, uh, this field that we are operating in. However, if we look at the field as uh, an obstacle course, and don't get too caught up in this challenge or that challenge or this distraction or that distraction, but just see it as this obstacle course that we're trying to navigate, then you'll be fine. Then you can have the positive and the negative happen. You can weather the, the peaks and the valleys because you're seeing it sort of from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And it, that I think sometimes, uh, hopefully, conscious teachings help remind us of that sort of thing. If we have the will to even want to, you know, look beneath the surface a little bit, which also goes back to the treatment of animals. My brother used to say to me, why do you want to even look at this stuff? Because it isn't on the surface. You have to admit, if you go to the grocery store or if you go to the, the mall, you know, these things are not what you see. Everything looks right. pretty, everything looks pretty slick at that point. Right. Um, why would you want to look beneath the surface of anything? Well, because I, I want to know the truth about stuff. I want my eyes to be open. As I said earlier, I want to, I want to see in 360 degrees so right you can once the questions start bubbling to the top they don't you can't stop it can't it, kid yourself really as much it, anymore it's it, yeah. you said like you said you can't unsee yeah yeah <laughs> i did one one question real quick okay um that john john pierre i know he worked with you yeah he, said he took you from skinny oh, yeah. to massive men he did Tell me, can you please share it with me? Because I, I love him so much. If you yeah. could just share, like, what was what was that experience with John? Okay. Perry? You'd be tickled to hear about all this. <laughs> yeah, because this is this is just a physical experience, but it is it's more than that. Because with JP, with John Pierre, you know, you'll get um, you always get three things with John Pierre. You'll get something physical. You'll get health. You'll get psychological. You know, he's he's fantastic. You'll be working out with him, and he'll say something to you that. It deliberately throws your brain off. He's doing this on purpose, by the way. And um, But that very lesson applies to you when you're not in the gym, when you're out of it. So one thing I really enjoyed about working out with him was all the other benefits he got from it. Well, I had approached him. I was This was a long time ago because I've known him for probably 12 years or so. But And I've been skinny my whole life. You know, I, I'm tall and I'm almost six foot four. And I met him and I was 165 pounds. So I was just all elbows and knees, you know, and I'd been skinny through high school and college and just been this skinny guy. And, um, and I was, it was getting into my late thirties. And I said to him, you know, I said, I, I just want to be a representative physically to people who look at the world and say, you look skinny, you look strong. I want to show that compassion could be, and I'm just a skinny guy. And can you do anything about it? And he says, yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> so, uh, um, so we started training. I'd worked with trainers before JP's more than a trainer, as you know, you don't call him a trainer, but I had worked with other trainers before yeah. and I didn't get, yeah. I couldn't get results. He changed my diet. He changed my, uh, my, 
um, my patterns. And of course we worked out like crazy and I had to eat right. so much. And it was of course all plant-based, all vegan, of course, a hundred percent. And in that time I went from 165 to 215 pounds. I gained 50 pounds. <laughs> I gained 50 pounds, still six foot four, but now it's up to 215. And I wasn't, I wasn't fat. I mean, he right. had put, he had put size Muscle. on me. And the weird thing was too, it wasn't, it wasn't just <laughs> It wasn't just muscle. It was just also just sort of, he, he literally changed my physique. And I remember during somewhere in the middle of all that, <laughs> I had to get a whole new wardrobe because none of my clothes fit. <laughs> and I remember, um, I remember at one point I was uncomfortable in my body. Like it was like I was lumbering down because I'd never been, you know, 30 pounds heavier, 40 pounds heavier, right. and not from being overweight which is probably a similar experience, I guess, for people if their body changed suddenly for a way, but this was, this was all built through strength. You gotta be pregnant someday. <laughs> yeah, right. And I remember just feeling like I didn't feel, com- it took like six months just to begin to get used to the fact that this was my new physique. But what was, what was mind blowing about it was I realized there were no ceilings, that ceilings were a perception that you could set any goal and I, and I meant physically even. You could be like, I was always skinny and tall, and now I, I wasn't skinny anymore. And I thought, just like when they thought however long ago, no one will break the four-minute mile. And then someone broke that four-minute mile, and then they went faster and faster. You think you can't do it, and then someone breaks through. And so that's the benefit of that. I mean, he started me off. I was so weak, so funny. I was so skinny. He started me off on 35-pound dumbbells, and he put me on a yoga ball. So it wasn't on a bench. So what happens is, is when you're on this ball, you're you're – your core is firing because you're afraid you're going to fall off balance the whole time just to mess with you. You know, it's safe. Don't get me wrong. Everything is safe. You know, he didn't do anything crazy where you're going to get injured. No, 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 no. But no one muscle group was going to get worked. It was going to be multiple muscle groups at the same time, just for, (laughs) just for extra fun. Right. So, and by the end, you know, I was struggling with 35 pound dumbbells. And by the end we had 105 pound dumbbells on each hand. And, um, and I was astounded. I was like, so he taught me something again, dormant, I guess, about myself. And that experience has crossed over to if I thought, can I do this film or can I tackle this endeavor? No, I probably can't. No, wait, yes, I can. You know, that was a great benefit of that, even though it was a physical um, uh, transformation. Right. It taught me lessons that you could, you could break through barriers all over the place. So that was great. Right. I, I, I think about the world, right? And so JP makes me always want to be a better human. Yeah, <laughs> so for sure. When, whenever I meet, talk, and I talk to JP often, and, yeah. you know, he's working out my my youngest, Gabe, and he sends oh. me videos of <laughs> doing all these games, running and jumping, and he's, oh, like, yeah. he's a phenomenal athlete. Yeah. I was like, well, I hope so. We kept him busy with me a little bit. Yeah. And I sit there, and he, and he talks to me. He goes, you know, but Lori, but I'm also talking to him about, you know, the challenges of being a young man and mm. not to do this. And it's like, you know, what a wonderful just person. He's just a, mm-hmm. he's a good human. It's like, yeah. if, we all, if we could all just be good humans, like Jesus, yeah. blessing this yeah. world would have. And yeah. As I just sit there and go, you know, what a relief to know that I have someone watching over my son's 20. He's almost, he'll be 21 this doctor. I mean, it's not like he's a, a little kid or anything, but it's mm-hmm. just, it's nice to know that there's these, influences in a young man's life and then there's this positive light that mm-hmm. if he didn't have to he just chose to and right. um i could just you know and for the long, 
longest time he didn't meet any of my other family. It was just Gabe. He didn't meet my husband. He hadn't met my daughter. He hadn't met my other son. And then they met all the everyone this actually in October or December. And I was just like, what a wonderful day. And all of us just fell in love with him even more. Yeah. So it's, it's just um, yeah. the big brother I never had. Yeah, and he's a great, great speaker. He's written a couple of books, and yeah. uh, he, you yeah. know, we've introduced him to a few people here in LA because we live in LA when he's in town, and he he works with some of them, and but yeah. he, of course he moves around and. Well, he's in LA now, so. Yeah, yeah he's here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely! Wow, it's phenomenal. And and if you had any um, one last bit of advice for anyone who's listening and you would want to send them a message that would just make that last little thought, you know, lasting thought that someone shuts us down and is going on about their day, what would that be? Well, you know, I should be better at my sound bites, but I'm not. But, uh, you know, <laughs> mostly it's like, here's a heavy thought to end on. Okay. okay. Uh, just for fun. Uh, of it's been fun, right? Hasn't it been it's remotely? It's been a blast, actually. Absolutely. Right. So, you know, th this might shake things up a bit, but the, I, tr I try to think about, um, try to not get too caught up in events that happen. And I mean any event. Hmm. Because the nature of events are transitory. Hmm. Meaning, if you came to LA and you said you want to go to Disneyland tomorrow, and you came and you went, you'd have hopefully an amazing time. And you, let's say you rode every ride and you experienced everything there was to experience. You just had the best Disneyland experience ever. And then at some point, of course, you are going to walk back to the tram and you're going to get back to your car and you are going to drive home. And that will have been a memory. And the memory will also begin to fade. And the details of the memory will fade. And if you went with your family, they might remember the same memory different than the way you do. The point is, is that everything in this world from an event standpoint, which is every day, is yeah. transitory. So then you have to start stop, you have to stop and think for a moment, what about life? What capital do I really have? Because most people are troubled because of their story. And their story is based on a series of events. And in particular, they're highlighting certain events, probably negative ones. Mm -hmm. And that story replays. And it keeps them unhappy. But if you can step back from the whole thing, kind of like when I mentioned my baby earlier, and just behold, mm -hmm. just sort of behold life and all these events and realize that you are not the event because you're probably different from who you were in high school and before you had babies, before you were married. I mean, you have to ask yourself, who are you really? There was a time when I was a little baby like, like Phoenix, our little baby, mm -hmm. and I dribbled. Mm -hmm. And... Then there was a time when I was skinny. Then there was, an, I was a time when JP put another 50 pounds on me. And then one day I'll probably be an old man again and I might be eating, dribbling from a spoon again. Who, who am I? You know, who am I along this? These are deeper internal questions about, you know, why am I here? Where did I come from? What is this all about? And um, I suppose if anybody was listening to a thought like that at the end, it's not get too bogged down by the events of the day because they're mm -hmm. transitory, they're mm -hmm. transitional, they're transitory. And to try to find out who the greatest question you could ask is who you really are. People said to me, tell us about yourself. And I say, which self? Which self? Mm -hmm. Are you talking about the one who makes films or something? That's like a job I do and it's something I care about. But 
there was a time when I was not vegan before I knew about this stuff. So who, who are we? If a person's looking for the only capital they really have, then you got to really search inside to who you are. And it has nothing to do with what's happened to you. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with what's happened to you. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something else within us that is sort of this witness. And um, that's why I say it's a spiritual thought because it's not something it has to do with a degree or a job you have, or if you're married or single, or if you're black or white, or if you're gay or straight. Or, uh, and so I'm very interested in finding out who I really, really am. And I think, I think that helps me carry myself a little more gentle in this world. Mm. Mm. I don't want anything from anybody else necessarily. When you're wanting something, it's probably something eccentric and it's something transitional and something event-based. But if you can just be loving and compassionate at all times, then life will be a lot easier to navigate. That is a, that is a very JP thought. That was a good, way to, a good segue then. Huh? It is a very good segue because that's how JP is, right? Because you're like, you offer him something. He's like, I don't need that. Yeah, I don't, I don't need that. Yeah. And, you know... I'm, I'm, I'm good. I don't, and then, you know, um, when he does take something, you're just so tickled that he <laughs> allowed you to raise his giving. And, um, you know, and I think you're exactly right. And I think that's the downfall, just on a little note there, um, from medicine is, you know, mm. or a psychological component. A lot of this therapy is based on, let's go rehash these events that led you to this point that did this. Yeah, sure, there might be a little bit of something we need to deal with. I mean, I was in the military. Yeah. I'm with PTSD. I've had my own traumatic issues, as is every single human who's ever walked this earth. And um, you're exactly right. When we let go of that past, Story. Let go, exactly, those stories do not have to define us, but we're like each day is a new day. Mm-hmm. And for me, I see myself as am I loving? Am I kind? Am I, I'm looking at the attributes that, I want to exude because I don't know where that's going to flow into someone's life. And I will never know if, Mm. you know, for example, you know, seven years ago when I went to plant-based diet and had a patient in Colorado who went plant-based a year ago, she sent me an email and said, Dr. Marvis, I shared your podcast with this, you know, a doctor that reversed her lupus. And now a friend of mine from high school has reversed the lupus and lost pounds. So, you know, those, those are those elements that, I don't know, but I know that I do this because I love it and I love sharing information. I love helping people heal. And that is exactly what you're doing. It's in a different venue, a different. So that's how I see it. I see it. What are the attributes of who I am that I want others to infuse into their their life? Because if I can infuse negative, I can. I'm very good at that too. Or do you want to do the positive? Mm. Why do I really watch my mouth? mm. You know, so that is really. I think that's who I'm. I'm always asking myself, is this who I want to be today? Because mm. I, it really is up to me. So I, I thank mm. you for that. You're very wise. I love this. This has been an amazing conversation. Uh, food for thought, you know. It is. It is wonderful. And JP was so kind to introduce us. And um, oh, yeah. I'm so thankful for your time. And well, you should have him on next if you haven't had him on already. Oh, I've had him on already. Oh, okay. okay. No, this is our running joke, right? Is that... Well, Lori, I was the best interview you've ever had. I was like, of course you were, because it's the best one nobody's ever heard. It's like, uh, everybody's yeah. heard you. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, yeah. I love him. But yeah, it's, I'm a little scared because he said, Lori, when you get to Boulder, I'm going to get you in the best shape of your life. I'm like, okay. <laughs>
it's fun. It's it fun. Is. You gotta, you gotta go for it and see. Um, oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's gonna be a lot of fun. And JP, if you're listening, I'm, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> good, 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 good. But thank you so much for your time, and I so appreciate you um, yeah, sharing. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I hope it was helpful. It so. was. All right. All right. Bye bye.